2: architecture brings to our cities, communities, and lives. Hosted by architecture aficionado and principal of
1: Accurate, Tom Dioro. Thank you, Charlotte. For our guest today, please welcome Bruce Burgess, CTI, president of Mullet Over Products, sound solutions for glass buildings. For more information, feel free to visit mulletoverproducts.com. That's www.mullit Overproducts.com. Hello, Bruce. It's an honor and pleasure having you on the Modern Architect show today. Thank you very much. Well, it's great to be here. For our audience, this is like 30 minutes overdue because um, I'm so intrigued with uh, our guest Bruce today that I forgot we have a show, too. (laughs) Anyway, you're going to be fortunate to hear what Bruce has to say and uh, his experiences. Bruce, can you share with us your early experiences, if you can look back as far as you can or as much as you can recall... How you are where you are now, doing what you're doing now, and at what point, you know, early on, as early as you can recall, did it kind of galvanize or uh, epiphany that, hey, I think we've got something here?
3: Well... If we're going to go way back, I started in construction when I was 13 years old. Okay. I was working oh, oh. on a residential framing crew, uh, lugging material around and cleaning up around the job site. And I discovered I loved construction. I liked being outside and I liked at the end of the day, you could see what you'd accomplished. But my high school counselor told me the future was computers. And I'm going to say something that maybe has (laughs) never been said in this radio studio before. I went off to to the university for electrical engineering, and I discovered I didn't not like computers, but I just wasn't passionate about computers. And so uh, I ended up dropping out of college. And I worked a winter on a roofing crew, and I found out that I was less than passionate about working on a roofing crew <laughs> in the winter okay. in Michigan. <laughs> oh. So when yeah. my fingers had thawed out enough so I could hold a pencil, I wrote a letter to the dean <laughs> and said, please, please let me come back, but I want to switch my major to civil engineering, which is what I enjoy.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when you went back to it, what was it, you know, from mull it over? I know we're, we're jumping ahead here, but it's totally relevant what you're doing now, can you see, like, what is the essence of what you're doing now that was the, kind of the essence even then?
3: Well, your career kind of builds on a lot of different experiences. And there's one project that really stands out to me. It was a building that was six years old. It hadn't been constructed properly. The general contractor had gone bankrupt. It was 33 floors tall. And the company I was working for was hired to basically strip it down to its concrete core and rebuild it and obviously there was a lot of litigation going on in the project and being the junior engineer i was assigned uh, to log everything in and uh, kind of track all the the shortcuts and problems that had been taken in constructing the original building and part of that process i was sent down to the construction research lab down in miami and they did a lot of uh forensic testing where instead of saying your window leaks they they could (laughs) isolate it down to the gasket in the bottom left corner was not designed right or wasn't constructed properly or whatever it was my first big experience with a testing lab and that ended up being uh, very important to me later on in my career when I uh, ended up Switching to inventing a, the mullion cap. Yeah. Now, how, how did the the mullion cap come about?
1: You, was there a moment, a time, an incident, a place?
3: Yeah, it was. It was kind of a series of buildings. But what it was okay. was, I had a. Um, it was a thirty-four floor condo project the architect was in litigation from a previous project for not meeting his stc requirements on the demising walls of the units and so he had us spending a lot of time and effort making sure that the drywall partitions were built perfectly and and they were but what we discovered was if we were uh, the building had curtain wall And if we were standing anywhere near the perimeter of the building at the glass, we could literally have a conversation with each other between condo units. And we tracked it down. We realized the problem was the aluminum framing, the mullion that holds the glass in place. The walls terminate at the back of the mullion. And this hollow aluminum tubing became the last five inches of the partition wall. And mullions are designed to support glass. They're designed to keep the weather out of the building. They were not designed to be partition walls, but yet, because they were in the way, they became the partition wall. And I thought maybe, you know, maybe it was just this building had that problem. And we had a similar uh, project going on the other side of town that had uh, ribbon windows. It had a similar detail. So I hopped in my car grabbed my superintendent at that building and put him in one exam room and sure enough we could talk to each other almost like we we're in the same room <laughs> between exam rooms if if we were standing near the the glass. And at that point in time we were in early design for a children's hospital. It was going to be a standalone building, 14 floors of curtain wall. And I'm like, "Hey, I've got an opportunity to fix this problem." So I went on a big search to find a solution. I couldn't find any manufactured products to address this problem of, of sound transfer with the, with the glass buildings. So I tried working with the curtain wall manufacturers, and they pleaded ignorance and told me, was, you know, acoustics is an interiors issue. Talk to the interiors manufacturers. So we talked to them. They said, hey, it's their mully and Tell them to fix it. We had this huge blame game going on, and at the end of the day, uh, we didn't find a solution to the problem. The building was constructed, beautiful building, won a lot of awards. The doctors there are, are phenomenal, but I was sitting in an exam room, oh, no. and I could hear the confidential conversation in the adjacent room, and it's, that's not okay in a children's hospital. And no. I became very frustrated. Everybody else had kind of moved on, and nobody else seemed to care. And it kind of became an obsession with me, <laughs> to tell you the truth. And finally, I took vacation days, and my, my wife was, uh, we'd been saving up. She was due for a new car. I asked her if I could take uh, the down payment for a car and spend it on a testing lab. No way. And, it, 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 yeah, okay. Maybe the best <laughs> sales job I ever did in my life was convincing <laughs> her that, that we should spend that on a sound chamber. But we uh <laughs> I I went to uh to the sound chamber and we mocked up the detail from the children's hospital and we found out that our high STC walls when we included a mullion in the in the assembly uh had an STC of 28. So um that was kind of the the start of this, but the aha moment was when we looked at the test data. Okay. And what we discovered was these mullions have a resonant frequency. And it's right in the vocal range. And I had gone to the testing lab thinking we could fill the mullion with some sort of sound deadening material to uh, increase the STC rating or block the sound from flanking through the mullions. And what we realized was if we were going to stop the sound, we had to decouple from the mullion because it has a resonant frequency. And as a matter of fact, we we put the speaker on a 500 hertz tone, which was the resonance of that of that mullion, and went in the receiving side of the sound chamber, and not only did it sound like the speaker was in the same room with us, oh. the, the mullion was physically vibrating. Oh. And that's it's literally like... It was literally, yes, m- vibrating. And once we understood that, then uh, then it was a lot of nights at uh, 2 in the morning staring at the ceiling, thinking about how can we best design a product that's going to stop that. And so I'm like, we've got to trim the end of the ball anyway, so why not make a trim cap yeah. that looks yes. like the Mullion. It's got to be fast and simple to install because if it's not, it'll never be installed properly and it won't work properly. I had to allow for wind load deflection and we just kind of stepped our way through all those things. Well, I did. <laughs> I was staring just. at the ceiling until uh, <laughs> well, did, yeah, until okay. we had it simplified to the point where uh you know, we felt like we had a product that we could uh take to market. So I took it back to the sound chamber and we were able to increase the STC rating of a of a wall mullion assembly from an STC of 28 up to an STC of 63. So, whoa. Major 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 improvement. Oh, my. How did you feel when you saw those numbers? Well... Do you recall even now? Oh, yeah. I, I knew that, that we were onto something big because the scale, I mean, every glass building in the world that had that detail had a problem. But I was a local general contractor. It was... I'm like, okay, I, I know how to fix something that's really important, that's going to kind of revolutionize how glass buildings are constructed. But now I have to figure out how are we are going to get this from the sound chamber into a product.
1: So was that, the challenge became even greater once you had
3: this discovery, in a sense? Well, yeah, what What happened was, you know, every success story behind it has a lot of people that helped push along the way, combined with a little bit of luck, and maybe a little bit of stupidity, so you're dumb enough to try it. <laughs> But... <laughs> What happened was um, Shark Tank had just come on the air. It wasn't very popular yet, and I didn't even know what a pitch competition was. But there was a local philanthropist that started a local pitch competition, and it had some prize money involved, but they didn't own a piece of your company. And I'm like, oh, I can't go wrong with that why not? So <laughs> yeah, I, why not? I yeah. sent in the submittal form thinking, you know, maybe nine months or a year I'd get a chance to present my idea. Two weeks later on Easter weekend, I get an email saying, congratulations, you're presenting uh, on Tuesday, but we need all your information by 8 a.m. Monday. And I had, well, it, I think this is a requirement for all startup companies. I had a prototype that I built in my garage. Um, yeah, you, know, you have start to start there. You have to start there. Yeah. I had test data, and i that's all I had. So over Easter weekend, getting uh, entered into this pitch competition forced us to, first of all, come up with a company name. Which we didn 't have, and that was kind of a late at night on a Saturday yeah night. share with us if you're <laughs> well, at liberty too, yeah, I well we, it it was uh myself and a friend uh yeah. sitting around trying to come up with ideas and bouncing off some really bad ones <laughs> before before i i you know we kind of played off each other and i i I think he came up with the idea of mullet over because it 's a mullion cap, yeah, and yeah. uh it encases the mullion and uh and we 're like hey yeah that 'll that 'll work so uh, we we ran with that, but the other thing the pitch competition forced me to do was you know, i 'm an engineer, so I tend to give too many details, and the pitch competition took me from having a you know half hour rambling explanation of my product idea that had way too much information into a five-minute or less elevator pitch of this is what it is, this is why it works, and this is where it's going to go. The other thing it did was when we won that competition, I went from being this guy who thinks he's got an idea for, for some product that nobody's ever done before to, hey, there's that guy that has an idea for a product that nobody's done before that just won the pitch competition. And that made the uh, investors... What a shift. Oh, yeah. It went from, you know, hey, great idea. Let me know when you've got it worked out to actually writing the check that it needed for me to quit my day job and, and commit myself full time to trying to make this product go and be a success.
1: Oh, my. And this all transpired how soon? Easter weekend, right? <laughs>
3: yes. Yeah, things things happen happen quickly in my world. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Yeah, so how did, um, once you got the check and you were able to
1: start on this full-time, probably double full-time, how did things unfold?
3: I, well, first of all, I took the check from winning the pitch competition. It was in my, my checking account maybe 12 hours the next morning, I was in the uh, patent attorney's office saying, hey, I did something stupid last night. <laughs> did you here's, really? Here's my winnings.
0: <laughs> <laughs> did you really? Yes. I did something <laughs> get, stupid. Get,
3: get something going quickly. So uh, <laughs> the other thing is, uh, you know, <laughs> I, mean, I, I had some investors behind me so I could quit my day job, but I, I wasn't really certain where to begin. So what I did was I there was a, a non-competing acoustical product that uh, a manufacturer in our town was... was uh, was successful with and i begged their marketing person to please let me talk to him for half an hour and tell me you know how you guys how you guys market your product and so he reluctantly agreed to let me come in and he gave me the name of a manufacturer's rep that handled their product in michigan it was on the other side of the state so i just hopped in my car and i went over to see him and i showed him my prototype and i told him my story and he goes Boy, I I not only will rep this, if you can prove to me that you can put the manufacturing system in place so that you can keep up with us, I not only am going to rep your product, I've got a friend who does what I do in New York City, and I'm going to make a phone call and I'm going to line him him up for you. And I got another friend in Chicago, and within six, nine months, we had the entire North America uh, had our our rep system and marketing in place for for all of North America. So it, it, it happened quickly.
1: Yeah. I noticed you have things quickly. Is it by design you think things happen for you this way, whether it's, um, I, you can share the story or not to cut the, uh, the time of how you, um, how do you get these things going so quickly? I mean, it, you said you described it a little bit. Is it some is luck? Some is this, some of that. But if you were to try to sum up, someone put a, okay, that's, that's not good. <laughs> if someone told you, hurry up, tell me, how, how do you get things moving so
3: quickly? What would you share? Oh, uh, jump in and just do it. Okay. Um, you know, so many people spend so much time talking about it and thinking about it, and like I just, did. you just get <laughs> up, you get up in the morning, and, and you say, okay, what's what's the next thing on my list, and and go get it done, check it off the list, and then what what are the next three? You just oh. you just can't stop moving. Yeah. What were some of the initial
1: challenges? Or just a couple? You know, one
3: one of the things that kind of blew my mind early on was I was like, okay, now I've got my reps in place and now all I have to do is we have to meet with one million architects. And I quickly realized that, you know, first of all, I need to meet with the acoustical consultants because they meet with all the architects, and you know they're the experts of uh, of the acoustics. And so I need to show them my product, and I have to I have to win them over. So that was step number one. And then I quickly realized that you know there might be a million architects in the United States, but every major market has three or four who are influencers. They're early adapters, and they're always on the cutting edge. If I could win those influencers over i didn't need to meet with every architect in that town i just had to win them over and then wait a couple of years and and everybody else will follow suit and so that became our marketing strategy and uh yeah it kept me from uh, having to never be home yes he would be all over the place yeah so how how has that worked is that proved to be a great it, strategy it's it's proved <laughs> to work out fantastic yes.
1: regardless of the area of the country
3: yeah it doesn't matter where we go And it it was fun early on because we had something that was unique, but it wasn't an unknown problem. I mean, architects had experienced the same things I experienced, and it was kind of fun. I remember one of our first presentations was in Washington, D.C. with a large firm, and my rep got us in with one of their technical people. He uh, asked a lot of questions, and when he became satisfied that we had the right answers, he went and grabbed about eight more people out of their office, some of the key people out of their office, said, hey, can you start over and say it again from the beginning? <laughs> and then they had us, I, I got going a little bit, and and then they stopped me. And then by the end of the presentation, we had filled the conference room. We had people standing in the doorway. And that was my first experience, and because I was worried about, you know, I'm, are people outside of my area going to see the same thing I see? And that's when I realized we were onto something that was that was real and was going to work. And that's what I call a good presentation, Our great presentations, were when the corner office person. Stuck around till everybody else had left and then asked if they could invest in the company. Was, oh, yeah, that's a good <laughs> that's, You knew that you, <laughs> you, knew you were successful with
1: those presentations. That's terrific. Let's, uh, let's talk back on that when we return. You're listening to The Modern Architect, KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM.
2: Music has been used for healing since ancient times. Healing Muses provides high-quality live music featuring the harp as part of innovative healing programs to support patient care in Bay Area hospitals, hospices, and convalescent centers. The organization relies on generous support from public and private sources, including individuals. If you'd like to help, you can visit www.healingmuses.org or email information at healingmuses.org.
1: We're talking today with Bruce Burgess, CTI and president of Mullet Over Products, sound solutions for glass Buildings. For more information, you can visit www.mullitoverproducts.com. That's www.mullitoverproducts.com. Bruce, your tagline here good design is simply obvious. How did that come about?
3: Well, that that was kind of it's almost a stolen tagline because as I traveled <laughs> around stolen. the the country when I would show our product to different architects it was it, and it happened time and time again. It, was, it became almost predictable. It, there there'd be a lot of tough questions about uh, you know, had we thought about this? Had we thought about that? And how does it, you know, handle wind load deflection or whatever? And when we had answers to everything, and and it was obvious that we, and we had ASTM testing for everything, there'd be a moment where they'd just kind of sit back in their chair and go, oh, this product is so simple. <laughs> and it's so me? obvious. <laughs> I've been fighting this detail for the last 30 years. I knew that my transition detail between my partition walls and the glass was bad. It's why didn't I do this? And and you know, hearing hearing the it's simple and obvious. After a while, we just turned it into our tagline. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: outstanding. That is outstanding. And if you can say one of the worst case of somebody saying, you know what, I don't know how this is going to work. Whether it's on the phone when you first talk to them or something, you send them an email. Can you kind of go through us? So you don't have to name names. Or go through us. It? So kind of a worst to first
3: type of scenario well the big thing because we're doing something different contractors hate change (laughs) and and people in general don't like change and so there was a lot of resistance just because it was different and uh the other the other thing with the contractors is you know everything's about cost 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 and it does increase the cost slightly at that detail, but it makes the building actually meet building code and makes the owners and users of the building like their space. So, yeah. you know, at what point is uh, cost savings uh, truly a cost savings versus just cheapening and making something not function well? So it sounds like you have to overcome
1: a mindset
3: of theirs. Uh,
1: yes. Okay. How do you, You mean, do you have a, a process that you go through or an expectation of, look, this is the kind of challenge I know I'm going to experience with this,
3: these builders or this architect? ahead of time well the big thing is once they install it once and they see that it's easy to install and once they understand what the labor costs are and then they actually see that it it makes a huge difference in the performance the smart contractors understand when the performance improves their risk decreases because the number one reason for litigation in buildings is water the number two is noise and nice. Once they start to understand that, they start, actually, we've gone from contractors who fight having our product installed to contractors who are are becoming salespeople for us in a way they're they're recommending it on buildings where it wasn't included in the design. Yeah. Well, share that that performance. I wasn't aware of also the fire safety and the safety of your product. Share with us that. Well, we took the product to market and, you know, you, you have to listen to the market and one of the early on we met with a major hotel chain and their their high-end hotels had issues with noise going between the rooms and they were usually glass curtain wall buildings so their top of the line hotel hotels had had noise issues a little bit and so they invited us into their corporate headquarters and they looked at what we're doing said boy this is exactly what we're looking for but through the and they took us downstairs into the the basement of their building and walked us through the history of their company and said you know fire over the years has been critical to the you know the safety in a, in a hotel in in the early days uh, there were a lot of fatalities so it's part of our corporate culture to include fire and. The mullion is not only a weak weak place for noise to flank between the rooms, it's a weak point for fire to flank between the rooms. And they challenged Mm -hmm. us, said, can you get us a UL tested fire rating? So we went back to the test test chamber, different test chamber this time, but back into the testing lab. And I teamed up with a company called STI that specializes in intumescence, because I always I always had really good luck with their engineers when I had a tough situation to solve. Huh. I thought they had some really good engineers. So we teamed up and it took us a lot of a lot of failures. You know, it took several tries to get it figured out. But we uh, eventually were able to get first uh one hour UL tested sound barrier mill and trim cap and then recently we were able to pass two hour testing with a different composition. Two so, hours? Two hours, yes. Oh my goodness. That, that just changes everything. It does. And <laughs> and so now, you know, we're able to handle, you know, it just adds one more function that our product can solve. So I think we've at this point pretty much fixed that transition detail. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So
1: what happens, what, what's it like when the testing is uh, complete and your client or prospective client sees the results that they're looking for? Is it just like... They just start outfitting every building you can. Do they work, move in increments? How, how it's
3: at least in your experience? How is well? It uh, the, uh, we've uh, the company has been doubling in size every year, and yeah, it's it's. Uh, I don't think I could stop <laughs> this train right now if i if, if I tried. Really, it, it, it's that strong. It's it's really has a lot of momentum behind it. Yeah.
1: So. We'll segue into something a lot of things, especially we talked about earlier before we came on the show, is is that a lot of most architects and even engineers in, in a sense, when they have their own business or their own operation, they're an entrepreneur, they really are yes and um, but you're you're not seeing that sort of emphasis or that that sort of uh, that mindset again now. Share with us why you think, either why or or you're not seeing that from people to kind of go out and strike out, find a problem, and see what you can do to fix ah, this problem.
3: Well, I'm going to jump, just a thought I had the other night. Jump, I'm going I'm to jump here. But <laughs> no, I was thinking the other day that I, w- I was with somebody and we were on a trail that we weren't familiar with. And the, their immediate response is they pulled their phone out and they found out exactly where, where we were on the map. And we were able to, you know, make, take the most direct route out <laughs> to our car. Okay. And I started thinking about that. And I'm going, you know, some of my best discoveries, whether it was a restaurant or a scenic drive or whatever, occurred because I got a little bit lost. And I think hmm. because, you know, I love using Google... <laughs> Like everybody else, I live with Google Maps. I found your studio today because of Google (laughs) Maps. But I think too often when when you're looking at your phone, you're taking somebody else's path. And I think that sometimes to get your own path, you need to get a little bit lost. Oh, prophetic and so
1: true. And especially if you're going on your experiences, you have... In a way, your product, your company was kind of found from a loss, not a loss situation, but a situation that you were not planning
3: on. Oh, I had no intentions. If there was any product on the market or if any of the manufacturers had cooperated with us one little bit, I'd still be building buildings in West Michigan. Uh, Really? I I had no desire or intentions to switch careers. It was just kind of a a fortuitous... uh, Good word. Great word. Yeah yeah I love that word uh, fortuitous.
1: so the product now what is uh, you're doubling in size now? your company's doubling in size, but what is the uh, what, what's the response from you know the general marketplace for your product? Is it just universally accepted now or at least uh, mentally and even emotionally in the industry?
3: Yeah it, yeah it really has been. I mean you still get pushback uh, you know on cost or something, but the the pushback is quickly diminishing.
1: Yeah, how do you quantify the value if if it's even possible to quantify the numeric the number value of it especially since you know you brought in the fire safety in addition to the acoustics. That's like it seems like it potentially could be standard on every new build. And that's our goal. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah.
3: We're we're on our way and that's uh that's that's what we intend is to make it just the the standard way that glass buildings are constructed.
1: Yeah. So How do you quantify it? You know, when, if there is pushback on whatever it it costs, the cost of it. Them and how do you share with them hey look at the value that you're receiving by doing this if <laughs> you, you know, can even you know, do it
3: sometimes you you just have to let people learn on their own you have huh. to let them make a mistake and let them make I, a mistake <laughs> I, I intentionally designed <laughs> I, I designed the product so it could be used during new construction or added as a retrofit and we had a, a rather prestigious university that um the an acoustical consultant had recommended that our product be installed and the architect had included it in the details, and the general contractor said, "No, nah, I'm I'm not going to install it." Really? Any, any value? Okay. What they call value engineering, yeah, value which engine. means just make it cheaper. Um, <laughs> yeah. It, does. it doesn't it doesn't yeah. not mean it's yeah, better. See, yeah. It's not really That's very value. Nice word though. But anyways, so they didn't install our product. And two weeks after they opened the building, they had a grand opening party. And during the grand opening party, my phone rings, and I've got the owner's rep the general contractor, and the architect on speakerphone. And the owner's rep is angry. He's at the party, and people don't like their new offices. Uh-oh. And I could hear in the background, the general contractor is kind of blaming the architect, going, well, I told you it's glass buildings. You're going to hear everything between the rooms, and you guys wanted glass buildings, so here you got what you deserve. <laughs> and the the owner's rep asked me if we could quickly manufacture one pair and send them out to them which we did and the installing contractor talked to me on the phone and he goes wow we couldn't believe it. we uh, you know we could respond that
1: quickly we, well
3: the, the, we were going to install them and and you know I'd be saying hey bring me a drill motor and the guy in the other room would bring me a the drill motor and we put one on one side and all of a sudden we had to start walking around to get our own tools because we couldn't talk to each other through through the mullions anymore he oh. said boy that product really works he said, I don't think that these will ever get VE'd out of, the, out of another project until the next project, that same general contractor VE'd them out again. No way. Okay. <laughs> they did. <laughs> they did. Oh. So, you know, some contractors adapt oh. quickly, see value, and other contractors, uh, you know, it takes a few tries, but eventually we'll them over. Yeah. We're persistent. Yeah, I can tell.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Speaking of that persistence, What inspired you to be so persistent in your professional life or inspire inspires or maybe continues to
3: to be a a catalyst for you to, to keep charging on this? Well, at this point, it's, you know, some of it was I've been around great people my entire career. And, you know, it's from the old architects when I first came out of college who, are architects and and superintendents who tolerated my questions. They tolerated you. (laughs) And and helped educate you uh, right through, you know, working on some of the the most interesting buildings in the area that I was working on. I've been exposed to a lot of really good people. But what I'm trying to do now is think about, all right, I've been very fortunate and then, oh, there's one other thing that there's a, a peer group of recent retirees in, in our area that I was able to join, and they gave me a mentor who uh, was just incredibly bright and had, seen, had such a good experience, and he worked with me for three years and helped us, you know get to where we are today. And now it's time for me to start giving back. So, you know, we've been trying to work with startup companies and entrepreneurs and help them get off on the right foot and get their products launched. Excellent.
1: This is The Modern Architect on KZSU, Stanford 90.1 FM. Each year, the lighthouse touches the lives
2: of thousands of people, people who have been blind their whole lives or who are new to blindness because of eye disease or trauma. The Lighthouse works to help people achieve independence, equality, and self-reliance through rehabilitation training and needed services. This includes access to employment, education, and vital government information. You can help. Donations are always appreciated. To learn more, visit lighthouse-sf.org.
1: We're talking today with Bruce Burgess, president of Mullet Over Products, sound solutions, for glass buildings for more information feel free to visit mulletoverproducts.com that's com. bruce you talked about giving back and you're still in essence it sounds like you you uh, what's the culture like at mullet over or just like if, if you've got a culture or just the uh, even the close people that you work with Share with us if you if, well,
3: been, well, if what, you can. What we what we try to have for culture is it's it's fairly laid back and you know hire, you always try to hire the best people you can and and I've been very lucky there, but there's something that I think some contractors never quite figure out and and something that I was fortunate to I guess have kind of modeled for me and 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 i tried to learn was the the value of win-win you know sometimes people think that somebody has to lose for you to win and i learned that uh if everybody on the team wins that's the ultimate and 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 I think a lot of contractors don't understand that the owner and the architect are part of your team. Yeah. (laughs) And so my career was entirely built on trying to find win-win opportunities, working with the people that were on your team. And it enabled me during my construction career to mostly negotiate jobs, and I wasn't too much in the hard bid market. So we always tried to build quality over low cost.
1: Yeah, so that seems to be a theme. Is that you're always looking for that quality, you know, what, no cutting corners, so to speak, although you are in corners, (laughs) 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 but you're not cutting the corners that you're carving, Right. Right. (laughs) I don't know how that came (laughs) off, but you're not cutting that. So go back to your giving back and acting as a mentor in the process of still growing. That's a very interesting dynamic.
3: Well, I've got a really strong team around me, obviously. Otherwise, we wouldn't be as successful as we are. So uh, that enables me to, you know, let go of the day to day details, let them handle that. I know they're doing a good job with it, and it enables me to go out and do, uh, dabble in some other things, which is what keeps you fresh and uh, makes it still fun. Yeah, how do you keep fresh? I mean, is this is this twenty four seven for you? In oh your no. Mind? no, no, no. Oh, <laughs> well, I love that well, you said that. I, I guess I guess no and yes. I okay. mean, do I ever get away from it? No, but do I obsess over everything? Do I lay awake in huh. in the middle yeah. of the night worried about things? No. If I'm if I'm laying awake in the middle of the night, it's because I'm trying to figure out something that that I've seen that I think can be improved on. And to me, that's kind of fun, in okay. its own little twisted way
1: <laughs> but no no hey so, so what other do you see a future if you're at liberty to share with us not a future of course but you know new types of products that solve things
3: yeah what i, what I look for is i always the first place i look is the transition point now with the product Interesting. you said transition point yes okay as if there is a sort of an apex or
1: a, a window
3: yeah okay There's, it's that point where one manufactured product or, or something stops and the next one starts Now, early on, I I assumed that these manufacturers, if if you had a product stopped and something else picked up right next to it, that you probably talked to that company and you knew each other and you kind of coordinated things. And I discovered that couldn't be anything further from the truth. People, the manufacturers, they work in their own silos. And I don't care if it's in construction details or software it doesn't matter what the product is if you look at that transition point where one product stops and the next one starts quite often that transition point is not well thought through and there are thousands of opportunities to make improvements in the market if you look at those transition points and that you're not speaking of just just the construction
1: built environment you're no, talking about I'm talking could be about, music
3: yes absolutely Wow.
1: Did you discover that recently, or is that something well, you've kind of always it's, thought it's, of? You know, you kind of, you kinda,
3: and, and I'm not the first one to, to think of this. I'm not, uh, I it, I think it's one of those fairly obvious things. If you've kind of been in the startup mode, you start to realize some things and, and you talk to people and they go, oh yeah, I I know that. I knew that 20 years ago, yeah. but it's something that, that occurred to me. You know, you, you've been As I mentor other people, you're forced to kind of stop and think about where you've been. And so often we're going so fast forward that we never stop and think about where we were. And you start jotting down these things that occur to you because they're important to somebody else who's maybe five steps behind you and where you were three years ago. And if you can say, hey, watch out for this, this, and this, you can save them a lot of headaches.
1: Yeah. How much do you feel that or think... That fear plays into people not going through that transition
3: point. Oh, huge! Um, really? Oh, huge? I mean, there was there was a point. You where... You said huge. Oh, okay. uh. <laughs> there there was a point where to move my company forward, I had well another good sales job with my wife, convinced her that... <laughs> another you one. Know, well, you f- let's let's put the house in the pot. And, um, let's no way! Oh yeah, oh. we we we, we, <laughs> we were all in, and if it didn't work, it was uh, it was not going to be good. And I'm, so, you know, fear stops you from doing things, but it's also a very good motivator. Yeah, I, 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 when my house was on the line, I was very motivated to be successful. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah so, I, they learned the the snooze button didn't get hit. Let's put it that way. So, fear is a big factor in why probably a lot of folks
1: will not go through with it, to wanting to deal with the potential heartache.
3: Yeah, and there's always somebody that will tell you it won't work. And Maybe many, and, yeah, and and you have to decide who you're going to listen to. You know, do you listen to somebody that says, "Hey, that's a pretty good idea," or do you listen to people say, "Oh, that'll never work"? Oh, yeah. Well, how do you decipher who's to listen to? Who to listen to? What I discovered is there was architects that I'd worked with for a lot of years, and there were some that I thought were really, really sharp, and some that I thought, yeah, they're not, they're <laughs> not as sharp. <laughs> they're not how, as, how do I say? You're this? so kind. Yeah. They're not as sharp, and. The ones that I really respected encouraged me to pursue this dream. And the ones that I, over all those years, never thought were as good architects, they were the ones that said, oh, that'll never work. And so I had to decide, <laughs> who do I listen to? And I'm like, well, the people that I truly respect and I think are very, very sharp are the ones that are encouraging me, me to move ahead. So yeah. let's move ahead. Yeah, so it sounds like there is positivity that you're
1: either looking for or you discover that you say, aha, that's really what we need. Here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I mean, this is just I- incredible. Bruce, is there any uh, anything else that we may not have talked about that you'd like to share with your audience?
3: Well, yeah, there's, uh, there's a couple. One is uh, something that we all learned in ninth grade science class that really enabled my whole product or the reason, I guess maybe it's more the reason the the transition detail and the sound problems at the mullion weren't solved forty years ago. And that is when we went to the testing lab, I started by running baseline testing and looking at my data and trying to solve to the problem. And I was talking to one of the lab techs when I was in there recently, uh, doing some testing and and I asked them, I said, you know, why didn't any of the curtain wall people do this forty years ago? And he said, you know, they tell you they don't care about acoustics. But he said, that's not necessarily the case. He said, the only thing that I can figure is they have been in here to test their ideas, but they came in with their solution. They never ran baseline testing. They never did what you learned in ninth grade, and that is take a look at the data and solve to the data. And so they brought in their solutions, and they involved things that didn't account for the, the resonance, and they didn't work. So then they'd go back to their companies and say, oh, it didn't work and it can't be fixed. And then it became common knowledge that the acoustics problem at the Mulling couldn't be fixed. When it was just a matter of they needed to understand why before they tried to determine what. And nobody was willing to spend the money to go in and, and figure out why things happened. So, yeah, it's, it's hard to fix what you don't understand. And the other thing that I see happen a, an awful lot in, in acoustics is using the wrong materials. You know, some materials absorb, some materials block, but they don't do both. I've got a friend who's a boater, and okay. yeah, there's an old <laughs> sailor saying, uh, you know, I'm f- from Michigan, we're on the water. And the, the old saying is if you don't know how to tie a knot, you tie a lot. And a good sailor will tie a very simple small knot, and it'll hold up in a hurricane. And somebody that doesn't know what they're doing will wrap around, and it'll be this humongous thing of rope. And you put one little tug on it, and it, and it pulls free. And it happens all the time in, in acoustics that if somebody doesn't know what they want to do, They'll make the mistake of just uh, well, let's put a lot of everything at it, and you know our product is very, it's very thin, and and it's um, it's a matter of using the right materials, in the right quantities, and understanding what we want to accomplish before we, you know, just throw a lot of stuff at it. Yeah, I like that. So you, I think there's that's metaphoric
1: for a lot of facets in life. Oh yeah. I loved you. I love your answer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're like, you got it. Anything else? Just your yeah, show. I want to uh, hear
3: Bruce. You know, you, you get the good fortune of, of crossing paths with some, some good people. And I was involved in a lead project back when USGBC was just in its infancy. And we didn't really know what to do with it because we had the first one in town. And it was actually it was one of the one of the earlier ones that was built in the country. And so we brought in a consultant from Carnegie Mellon University. And he did something I'll never forget. He walks in the room for the, our first meeting, and we're sitting there with the owner and the architect, and everybody's a little nervous about this, this new uh, sustainable construction thing. And he says, okay, who's tracking our lead points? And the assistant project manager holds them up, and you know, a big smile on his face, yeah, I got them here. And the consultant walked over to him, said, can I have them and look at them? And he, he took them, and he wadded them up, and he threw them in the wastebasket. And he said, we're not going to count points. He said, what we're going to do is we're going to use the simplest designs we can. We're going to use the best material that we can. And everything that goes into this building is going to be multifunctional. And at the end of the day, we're going to count our points after we built the building. And if it doesn't exceed what your goal is, don't pay me. And, no way really and, laid it on the line like and, that. and and when i was looking at designing our product the the mullet over product we just tried to use the best materials we could purchase we didn't skimp we you know it was always what's the best we can do how can we make it simpler and then how many more functions can we get out of this design so that it does as many things as possible and so, you know, that concept of sustainability is, uh, I think it's been lost a little bit over the last couple of years over, over what it was early on. And that consultant was just an amazing person. Wow. Let's go into a break and we'll come right back. This is outstanding. You're listening to The Modern Architect,
1: KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. The Native
2: American Health Center is a nonprofit organization that has served the Bay Area Native population since 1972. Clinics in Oakland, Richmond, Alameda, and San Francisco offer comprehensive services to improve the health and well being of American Indians, Alaskan Natives, and residents of the surrounding communities. Services may be available with or without health insurance. To learn more or to make an appointment at a nearby clinic, visit www.nativehealth.org.
1: We're talking today with Bruce Burgess, president of Mullet Over Products, sound solutions for glass buildings. For more information, feel free to visit mulletoverproducts.com. That's www.mulletoverproducts.com. Bruce, you're talking about making it simpler. Before in our break, I said, well, to make things simpler, it takes a lot of work.
3: (laughs) It really does. It's a lot of time. because. You get a point where you think you're there and you want to stop. And in reality, you still have five more steps to go if you want to truly simplify and and make your product better. Is that a process
1: that you know intrinsically that you're going to experience once you think, like, I think I got it, but boy, I'm I'm exhausted.
3: Yeah, it's (laughs) like anything. I mean, you want to stop. But the other thing is, and this is a, a mistake I think engineers sometimes make, Boy, I've been using a lot of <laughs> you lot of sayings here. But I had, an old super- I had an old superintendent who used to say, at some point you got to shoot the engineer and build the stupid thing. <laughs> you can't wait until it's perfect to take it to market. Sometimes you have to get your product out there, and then you have to listen to the market. And it, people will tell you what you need to do to improve it. And, you know, we've done a lot of that. We've been back to the sound chamber five times. You know, our market has told us we needed to tweak this and add that, and and you got to listen. So you can't get too in love with your design. If you think your design is perfect, you're probably in a bad territory. Uh, you need to rethink it and and listen to what people tell you.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you, are there any quotes that you you kind of recall? But boy, you are laying them out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, that, yeah. that was going to be to the end. That was like I was thinking one, but you yeah. really have them. So you have these axioms that kind of they're in your brain that well, you think
3: of in your real life they, they help you communicate because hey i'm an engineer i say things too long and when i see somebody that's a good wordsmith that <laughs> can take what i was thinking that would take 10 minutes to explain and they can do it in a sentence i i remember it yeah <laughs> they, they impress me <laughs> <laughs> they impress.
1: now we know what impresses you yes. and speaking of the impression you're doubling the size that the company's doubling in size now how about Worldwide, I know we're talking North America, but can you share
3: with us even a worldwide well, we did, experience? Well, we did carry our patents in uh, the UK and in Germany, and right now we're in all of North America. We've got, oh, about 1,100 buildings that have installed our product. And so in the first seven years, we did, you know, our first 1,000 buildings, and at the rate we're going oh right now, we'll probably hit 2,000 here by the end of 2019. So, you know, things have taken off exponentially. Have you quantified the marketplace for I haven't really. Okay. We, 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 we probably should, and at some point we will. We <laughs> <Probably> should. <laughs> we've been, too, we've been yeah. too busy trying to get product out the door to... Yeah,
1: United States built, correct? Everything is uh, yes, manufactured yes, in the United
3: States. Absolutely, yeah. That, that by, was design? That, by design? By okay. design. That was important to me because when we started the company, the economy wasn't in the shape it's in right now. And people in Michigan needed jobs. And so uh, we did everything we could to keep it local. And it's part of that quality thing. We were able to really keep the quality high if we could con- keep it local and control it. So, no, we haven't put anything overseas or anything like that. We're, we work local.
1: Yeah, well, I'm putting you on the spot here. You plan on staying local?
3: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, and it's Michigan as well? In yeah, Michigan, well, I mean, no, we,
3: our extruder is and uh, our finisher are out of Wausau, Wisconsin, because that's kind of a ground zero for a lot of curtain wall manufacturers. So we do outsource, uh, you know, where some of our materials come from. Yeah, what have you seen change or evolve in
1: construction in say the last three or five years? You know, since it's always evolving. Anything that you've seen in particular that's related to what your experience is?
3: Well, I think acoustics, people are paying a lot more attention to acoustics. Now, I had kind of an aha moment. I was working on a project. There's an architect out in New York City by the name of David Rockwell. And I was accustomed to being very concerned and focused on the aesthetics, the visual in building design, but he walked in the building and said, what are you going to smell when you walk in the door? And that kind of threw me for a loop. You know, he talked about all five senses. And I think that other architects and designers have caught on with that. You know, I don't know if he was, you know, so much a front runner, if he was part of a group, but I see a lot more attention being paid to more than just the visual in in architecture these days.
1: Yeah, what do you think has influenced that in your... uh your opinion or experience?
3: Well, I think it's it's the owner experience and 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 feedback that uh, you know we, we want our our space to be functional and usable. You know, yeah, we want it to look nice. We and we want natural light and all those things, but we also uh, need yeah. to work here.
1: Yeah, that's true. And notice, there's a, a real big theme here. You've said I've lost count how many times you say we listened, not just to your colleagues. And your fellow professionals, but even customers, you, you use the word "listen" a lot. Do you do you feel that there's also an unlearning process with some of those, like the contractors that you're talking about, oh, that they yeah. need to experience an unlearning, not to, not a learning? Yeah. No,
3: but an <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, um, you know, and and as the next generation comes up, you know, if they don't pick up the bad habits, uh, you know, the the industry progresses. Yeah, if they don't pick it up, <laughs>
1: oh. So come back on this. I think it's that fear factor and that courage because it's something, at least in my opinion, it's a minute-to-minute thing. It's not a, okay, you got courage, you're good for another 10 years. It's a minute-by-minute. You have to express it and you have to go through to it. you feel the same with where you're at even though you, the company continues to be successful? You continue to see how you can uh, positively impact buildings and ultimately people's lives.
3: Oh, oh yeah. And yeah, you know, some people need to go to Vegas to get that adrenaline rush. I just go go to work. (laughs) Oh, so true. Yeah. So tell
1: me why though you think that is, why do you, at least for you, you know, because we're not too different. Every human being, I mean, one person is not too much different from the next one. So what determines it seems like the mindset and the ability to overcome a fear.
3: least i think so i may be wrong you write to me and and, tell me (laughs) and a willingness to look at not change for change's sakes but the willingness to look at change and how things could be different and you know that gets back into that whole follow your phone around uh, or make your own path i mean it's you really need to be willing to look at different ways of looking at things and you know to me it's also as i've started this company i've done a lot of travel and i think travel and experiencing new foods and new people it keeps it fresh it keeps you <laughs> keeps you open to different ways of looking at things and it makes it fun
1: yeah speaking of that fun how much fun do you have oh, doing
3: this you know right now the the thing that i that we've been doing on the side is because we're able to we've helped out some other uh maybe not things that are going to make money but but might have an impact on the world so we there was a, a company that was making exothermic blankets it's kind of like the hand warmers but much more refined at baby blankets for the third world for when they lose electricity they could keep babies warm so that bad things don't happen because when core temperature drops other bad things occur with with young infants so They needed some money to do uh, some clinical trials in Kenya, so, you know, we were able to fund that. And this last year, we had an engineer team that wanted to invent a flood-proof latrine for Myanmar for their rainy season because during the rainy season, everybody in the village gets sick when the latrines flood and everybody's, you know, drinking contaminated water. So we gave them the Apollo 13 rule. They could only use materials and people that were available locally and they had to design off that. Really? Okay. And so they were able to come up with a prototype last year and get it installed and they made some refinements to it, you know, listen to the people that are using it and they had some suggestions and and they fixed, made those tweaks and made those fixes and now they're going to... uh, Install them in other villages, and we're able to contribute something towards that. So that that kind of stuff to me is just it's fascinating. You're working with really interesting uh, people that are passionate, and it it just it's what gets me out of bed in the morning. It's it's fun.
1: That's awesome. There's that that fun again. I love it. What's your take on this, Bruce? Discovery. Or creativity, or discovery, and creativity. What do you think? At least to you, there's not obviously. It's not a trick question. It's just something I'm curious, and our audience occasionally asks as well. Is what is more vital, or what is more relevant? If there is one, is better than creativity or
3: discovery. <sighs> that's no oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome hey, to the can, show. Can, can you pick a favorite <laughs> favorite child? Um, <laughs> Uh, so you love them both. Uh, well, um, yeah. I, I probably I lean towards discovery because I'm okay. an engineer. Where people that are I think have the gift of creativity maybe are different than me. I, I think they're both important, and I think they the, which you think is more important probably depends upon what your skill set is.
1: Yeah. Okay. And then that skill set is comes from is it just your own DNA or your um, own
3: life experiences. It's. I think it's a combination of everything. I mean, okay. we life experiences I mean I got to where I am because of being around some really great people and and some interesting projects and you know I I came out of college with a desire the career goal to build something that was a landmark in my hometown where I was you know intimately involved with with the construction and so you know I was able to accomplish that but it's because I knew what I where I wanted to go yeah and and so you know it just kind of Somehow you figure out a way to get there. Yeah.
1: How do you feel when you have a building, when you know you've worked on a building and a project, you know the before and after, and you feel and experience the difference? Tell me what you feel.
3: Well, it's, it's, you know, it's just the satisfaction of a job well done. But I wish that that feeling would linger more (laughs) for me. Really? Because when it's done, it's like, okay, what's next? And that's—I think that's just the way I'm wired. Okay, um, yeah. So is that you, Bruce? Yeah. Not not, not
1: the human nature. Yeah, it's just it's
3: just just me. It's, it's yeah. I, I I wish I could sit there and just kind of bask uh, hey, it a little hey, bit. Hey, that's done. I <laughs> now I can take a year off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Speaking of that year off, what is the tallest structure that you've worked on?
3: That would be the thirty-four floor multifamily because it was the biggest thing that was built uh in West Michigan. So thirty four? Yeah. Okay. So and s- that was smallest. the tallest. Smallest? Yeah. Oh probably it, a it, guard shack somewhere. I don't know. No way. <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, but the 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 most complicated by far was the children's hospital that I worked on. I, I did a lot of healthcare for a while. I got on a run with doing a lot of healthcare construction, and, and that to me was very satisfying because not only was were the buildings challenging, uh, the end use was was great. Yeah, so, I would I would
1: think that the outcome has to contribute to the wellness of the patients.
3: Yes, with, without and and that's what I didn't understand is is how much. A good design can impact the the results.
1: Yeah, it is. Bruce, it's been wonderful having you on our show. Thank you very much. I've been so honored to have you and so excited that you came out to to be on the uh, the show.
3: Well, I, I am too, and I uh, hate to use the F word again, but it's been, <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. That's good.
1: <laughs> that was awesome. That is awesome. You've been listening to The Modern Architect. I'm Tom Duro. Our guest today has been Bruce and is Bruce Burgess president of mullet over products sound solutions for glass buildings for more information feel free to visit mulletoverproducts.com that's www.mulletoverproducts.com join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect engineer influencer or civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities communities and lives the Modern Architect is
2: recorded at Stanford University Studios in Palo Alto, California, and on location in California and is a production of KZSU Radio. Today, the recording engineer is Charlotte M. Thornton, Chief Engineer Mark Lawrence, and we're all assisted by Akshay Shaggy. And the executive producer and host of The Modern Architect is Tom Dioro. If you wish to contact us, our email address is interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu, Again, that's interviews with an S at kzsu.stanford.edu.
0: Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of over 240,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of production and broadcasting costs for the modern architect.